Hi and welcome to this episode, to you from wherever in the world you're listening or watching from. In this episode of the Radical Awareness Podcast, Nicole and I interview one of our teachers, one of our mentors, Christine Weber from Subtle Yoga. Uh, we have been working with uh, Christine Weber with Subtle Yoga's uh, trainings and information for a number of years now and Christine really was a catalyst for the shift that we took or were taking um, towards a, a slower, more subtle you could say approach to um, the yoga practice, to our way of teaching and it very much informed our move in the direction of trauma-informed and opening our eyes to a neuroscience-based approach to teaching yoga, to learning about yoga and led us in the direction of understanding a lot more about the nervous system, polyvagal theory, and all of these other wonderful things that we talk about in the world of trauma-informed yoga. So we feel very privileged to be having this conversation with one of our mentors. Um, she has also been uh, a trailblazer in getting a little bit more recognition and understanding around how yoga can be beneficial for mental health and getting that information into healthcare systems and healthcare practitioners in the US and so we talk about these things as well. Um, you can follow her stuff and there's plenty to follow on uh, Instagram, Subtle Yoga, um, on Facebook, Subtle Yoga with Christine Weber and her website is subtleyoga.com where you'll find uh, a whole lot of resources around um, slow yoga and how beneficial it is. Uh, her teacher training, online teacher trainings are there and she runs an online community and brings us lots of new information all of the time. So really excited about this conversation and I hope you are too. So sit back and enjoy our chat and if you do enjoy it please do like, subscribe, share and do all of those things that help us get this information a little bit further. Oh, and before I forget, Christine has offered us some freebies. So if you check out the links in the show notes, she has some stuff for you uh, that will introduce you to her work and some of the things she's passionate about right at this moment. So do go and check that out in the description or the show notes, depending on what platform you are listening or watching on. Do check it out. Here's the interview. Okay, so welcome back to a very special edition of the Radical Awareness podcast. We have a very exciting guest in today's episode. It is Christine Weber. You might know her from subtleyoga.com uh, or the many other ventures she is involved in. I'm going to hand the mic pretty much straight to her to do a little bit of a, a self-intro um, to let us know how how long she's been in this, Hang on. I've in already this got yoga world. To say. I've already got something to say. I just want to also say that 
we've been following Christine's work maybe for five or six years now, mm, hey? Mm, true. Your work, Christine, and have done many of your online courses and trainings and even had the great pleasure of meeting you in person during your, your brief stint to living in New Zealand. Um, it was very exciting for us and it is truly a privilege to be able to have this conversation and uh, allow our wisdom to share together you yes. know, and, and come forth. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. And I just love you both so much. And I'm thrilled about the work you're doing. Um, so yeah, just a, a thank you for having me on. And just briefly, I uh, started doing yoga in sixth grade, which was in the 1970s. I had a hippie social studies teacher, and she taught us yoga club. And I had some um, deep experiences uh, when I was a child, maybe Maybe I could even call them spiritual experiences, but I didn't have a context for them. Um, but I still use some of the practices I learned from my sixth grade social studies teacher today. Uh, and then I had a really good friend in college. Her name was Maria Kirsten. Many of you know her from her teaching in Australia and New Zealand. And um, so Maria would, this was the late 80s, and Maria would be like, come on, let's go to yoga. And I'd be like, I hope nobody sees us because it was really <laughs> not trendy back then. Um, but she dragged me along. She was, she was an extraordinary person at a young age. So we were like 22 or 23, and she was extraordinary at that time and that she knew how important yoga was for self-care. And she taught me a lot about self-care when I was a young person. So I really got into yoga kind of at that time. I got a little deeper into it. And then I lived in California for a while, got a little deeper. And then I lived in Asia for four years uh, in my 20s. So that was, I, I lived in Japan for a couple of years. I, when I was in Japan, I was like, I need a yoga teacher. And I found a Japanese yoga teacher and shouldn't speak any English. And I didn't speak any Japanese. Well, my Japanese was getting a little better at that point, but I still didn't understand most of what she was saying, but I just kind of followed along. That was kind of fun. Um, and then I met some sannyasins, some, uh, you know, uh, renunciates from um, from India in, when I was in Japan, and that inspired me. I really wanted to go to India. I spent about eight months uh, in India and Nepal, traveling and staying at ashrams and studying and learning. Um, this was all in the early nineties, mid nineties. When I got back to the states, it was nineteen ninety five, and was an interesting time for yoga. I was living yeah. about an hour. Yeah, it was about, I was about an hour outside of New York City. So I was getting some of the trickle down from what was happening in New York. Um, and it was interesting. I remember the first yoga class I went to, like coming back when yoga had become, started to become trendy. Mm -hmm. So like that, there was a, this clear line between the yoga I was doing in the 70s and 80s and even in Japan and then what happened when I got back to the States in 1995, which was basically that Ashtanga yoga had spawned vinyasa yeah. and that had, right. And that had started to kind of gain some traction as part of the fitness world. So I went to a couple of classes and I remember just being like, Oh my <laughs> God, I couldn't, you know, I was just shocked. Like, by how fast everything was, by people massaging my neck in Shavasana. I was like, yeah. what is that? <laughs> and by, by like the uh, the teacher, you know, had was wearing like a big t-shirt and some like, remember those Thai yoga, those Thai pants that were really popular in the 90s, yeah. like the big wide leg pants. She was wearing those when I got there and I'm then she sure whipped them off and Oh, they're coming back. There you go. <laughs> and I remember her whipping them off and she was basically wearing like 
a bikini top and hot and short shorts. And I was like, what? Like it just, <laughs> not what I had had experienced. So I, you know, I was, I was very, um, kind of taken aback because I didn't understand what was going on. And I sort of, then I sort of started to explore and go to more classes and be like, oh, this is okay. I see what's happening here. This trend is, is picking up. It was interesting teaching yoga in 1995 because I would put a sign up at the grocery store and be like yoga class. And like 30 people would show up. Like it, it, it was a really, like it was starting to become popular, but there weren't a lot of teachers then. It certainly wasn't saturated at that point. Mm. So anyway, then I, you know, I was teaching in New Jersey. Then I moved to Asheville, North Carolina in uh, um, 2001 with my Kiwi husband. I had met oh, yeah. the Kiwi along the way. <laughs> well, I was, was going to prompt you to put the put the New Zealander into the story. Yeah. <laughs> when did you train? When was your yoga training? Uh, when was my training? Yeah, like when did you first train to, to teach? So at that time, in the early nineties, time. Yeah. The oh, training was not. So, the training was Guru Cool still. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course, yeah. You know, which means like you live in the house of a teacher and you yeah. kind of like pick up, but then you learn, like I would learn how to cook doll, you know, <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. And I did some yeah. of that in India, but I also did like a more formal program for um, maybe six weeks at an ashram in Mexico. Yeah. And that was like in 94, I think. Okay. 95, maybe it's 95. I can't remember, but it was around that time. So that was my first sort of training, but there wasn't yoga lines didn't exist. So like it was really, it was really different back then. Um, but I started doing it. I started taking a bunch of workshops like right away when I got back because they're, they're mostly at that time, it was still like Iyengar workshops yeah. and a few. So I took a few Iyengar and, and I was like, oh yeah, it's not, you know, it was very different. And also like it was too physically rigid for my body my body didn't like it I liked qigong like I had studied qigong in California I like that sort of fluid breath centered stuff so and that's what I learned in India too so I took workshops but I, but there weren't a lot offered then and it was different so anyway yeah then I met the kiwi <laughs> um that was in when did we meet 97 and we got married in 98 um, and then, and he moved here. So, which was probably really stupid of me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I could have lived in New Zealand. I could have lived in Auckland, but, um, anyway, we, we, you know, he, he wanted to be here, as you know, very well, a lot of Kiwis leave and kind of explore the big, the big world. Um, so we did try to come back during the pandemic and it just, <laughs> It was great. I I loved being there. I think I loved it more than my husband did. <laughs> you were exploring. He was like, oh, oh no, this is back. <laughs> no, he was he was happy to be back because he feels super connected to the land and the Maori. You know, he feels like very connected to the culture in New Zealand. But he um, he is now a, a licensed clinical social worker, mm. so he does psychotherapy. And that's going to segue into what we're talking about today with mental health, because he was, he, he went through some of the hoops to get his licensure. Actually, I think he, he got his licensure in New Zealand eventually, but uh, it was just not the, it's like the, the profession isn't as robust there, you know? 
So he got to the point where he was like, well, I could still see clients online, but I think I'm going to, that's going to be tricky and we should probably should go back. And I started having problems because most of my business is online and I was having problems with my Facebook um, uh, ads as well as my Facebook account because Facebook after, which I didn't know after, like we learned so many things after, (laughs) after 90 days, Facebook is like, you're not in where you say you are. So we're going to, we're going to freeze things. And so it was, it just got to the place where I was like, okay, this isn't going to (laughs) work. So we have to go back. Oh, sad. I have to do my Indian tears. <laughs> you know, Indian basket <laughs> it, it was really hard to leave. It was really hard to leave. So, um, so anyway, that's kind of where I asked the question um, about yeah. when, because we've um, been interested in the kind of Vinny Yoga lineage and this influence of Desika Char, when did that influence um, come to you? Was it through Gary Kraftsau or I don't know if that's how you say his name properly or somewhere else? Yeah. So thank you for asking that question. So in, when I got back to the States, I had started taking some of those vinyasa classes and I was like, I need to be a bit more discerning about what I'm studying here because that was just not right for my body. I knew right out of the gate. I didn't want to fling myself around in sun salutations. It just didn't feel right to me. So I started looking for other yoga studios and I found a studio in Philadelphia, which is pretty close to where I was living in New Jersey. And it was called Yoga on Main. Um, and they taught Vinny yoga. And I went there and I took a class, a couple of classes. This is 95, 96. I took some classes there and I was like, oh, this is, this makes complete sense to me. This is how I want to practice. Yeah. So, um, so I started studying that more. I actually didn't meet Gary till after his brain surgery, which was in like night 2000 and three, I think he had his surgery. So I had studied with a few other Vinny yoga teachers from Desikachar's lineage. Now it's a little tricky in the United States because Vinny yoga, actually, I think that copyright is owned by Gary. I think Desikachar passed it to him for the United yeah. States. Yeah. So it's a little complicated, but there's plenty of other Desikachar teachers here. So I took, I took classes with uh, several and, and some workshops mm-hmm. Um and then I started studying with Gary, like maybe in 2004, I studied, or yeah, I think 2004, I started studying with his ex-wife, Mirka, and I took several workshops from him. But the challenge at that time, and it's good that things have changed now, the challenge at that time is you had to, if you wanted to do his teacher training, you had to take two weeks out of your life to be yeah. in the ashram with him. And I had a infant you know I had a baby in 2004 that I was not willing to leave you know and and plus the the other piece is that's challenging is it's very expensive and I didn't have the revenue to study with him uh early in my teaching career as you know very well like this is a labor of love It's a mission, so uh, or a vocation, if you like, and and that was so. It was really hard for me to get. You know, I read a lot of books and I took trainings and stuff, but I took workshops and stuff. But to actually do the training, I didn't do it until 2013. I started it 2012, maybe. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So yeah. to kind of segue yeah. into the 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 main topic, if there is such a thing, um, we see this kind of 
yoga being pretty much in its infancy in the West. Um, but what we look at is these kind of two, there's these two-ish main arms of one is the, the exercise vibe that kind of populates into the gyms and whatnot. And then the kind of more maybe esoteric stuff that can get a little bit, as we were talking about earlier, spiritual bypassy. Um, and so <laughs> what we'd love to know is about how your journey of kind of, of bringing, bringing this together with a little bit more integrity um of how how it folds in do you want to add to that yeah yeah but i think it's also it is speaking directly to mental health or this idea of you know the trauma informed that we talk a lot about and that what we're seeing i know that there was a what was it an article a study something that john read where it was like 80 percent of people are going to yoga for their mental health and are getting Mm. recommended to do this and it's like well what with all the different offerings out there, what actually is supporting mental health and maybe what is not supporting mental health, you know, because they are yeah. very different in what can be offered. And if you're kind of going for this intensive spiritual practice to, you know, depending on the perspective, working towards enlightenment is different to I just want to actually feel in my body and start to reclaim who I am as a as a human. Um, yeah, you sort of need different practices, right? So we're very kind interested. Of contrast between the, the goal of, effectively leaving your body or getting beyond the body to the goal of actually grounding in your body, being in your body, those two different things. Or even, and we're talking, you know, it's like from the chakra system, it's this idea when we've seen so many people who are so interested in these ones up, you know, I want to be in my upper chakras. That's where all of my spiritual experiences are going to happen. And we say to people a lot, you know, I mean, you've got to arrive in all of them in your body or you're basically just going to have psychosis you know that's not yeah. going to be a fun thing this idea of what is mental health how is this supporting and yeah all of the kind of confusion because and like what you've just explained how quickly yoga has landed in the west and just gone yeah <laughs> and then we're all yeah. trying to kind of regroup and understand yeah 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 i had a um a, a teacher once uh in japan actually a yoga teacher she was a renunciate and she said to me um i'm leaving and i said why she decided to leave her robes behind you know and stop being a nun and i said why and she said because you got to have an ego before you surrender it and she hadn't found it yet you know she hadn't found herself yet i was like for you you know so and i think it's the same thing like you have to be in your body before you transcend it all of that this is the not you know dualism precedes non-dualism it has to yes yeah it has part of the maturation process i think so but to go back to that first point john that you made like yoga being in its infancy that's an interesting comment because what i was talking to a friend the other day who is an old, old friend from yoga. We like, we met in 2001 in Asheville and she taught yoga at that time. And I said, are you thinking about teaching yoga again? She said, Oh God, no. And I said, why not? And she said, because yoga used to be counterculture and now it's mainstream. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that's really interesting. She's like, yeah. I don't want to do something mainstream. And, you know, when you get on Instagram, yeah. um, you know, and you see, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you see what's out there. It's, um, you know, yesterday I just saw a random video of a woman, young woman who was saying five years ago, I was really anxious and now I'm not. And you can 
follow my yoga method. And then the next video I saw from her was she was washing her hair and promoting the shampoo she was washing her hair with. And, you know, like, right. Like that's, that's what we're seeing now because like, I think we have to be really, really prioritize discernment. Viveka, you know, like we are living in this time of like, mountains of misinformation it's mm. not just a little scat smat you know a little sprinkle it's mountains of misinformation mm. and you know and then tiktok the tiktok talkification of mental health i like to call it you know what we get there is are these short videos of like do this acupressure point do this massage do this um, you know, breathing practice. And, and then people get a lot of anxiety because they're overwhelmed by all the things they're supposed to do every day that TikTok mm. is talking about. Right. So, you know, you, it's, it's really a difficult time, I think for people for many reasons, but one of them is that we don't have these longer, deeper conversations. We don't have these, you know, we don't value long practice anymore it's like we'll just use this app for meditation and follow this five minute meditation you can check that off your to-do list you know uh, for your self-care self-care has been overly packaged you know we have all of that stuff right now that is i think really eroding the potential for having deep uh, spiritual um growth you know so so i think that's i think that's an issue i think that's a big issue that we need to have a bit more discernment about and then you know and and we've also got the issue of like yoga being mainstream now and watered down and gosh knows what it is uh and you know i talk to people who work at um uh, clinics, mental health clinics. And they say, people come in now the clients come in and you'll be like, okay, so we let's work with some breath. And they're like, Oh, we already know all that stuff. We learned it on TikTok, you know? So, mm-hmm. right. And so they, they blowing it off before they've actually given it a chance to land yeah. and start to mm-hmm. change them. I don't know. Are you seeing stuff like this in New Zealand oh, or am I just, yeah. we spend time like with clients where they'll come in and it's kind of like, Oh no, nothing works. I'm like, okay. So has anyone told you, how slow this process is right Right. and what an actual win looks like you know that just having the slightest change can be actually a huge win and that this is a lifestyle and when you're putting things in it's little things daily that you can achieve and that you're actually tracking your own system the entire time you know we're not just doing this yeah like you say a tick I'm going to do my meditation and tick it off and then I should feel better, but then go and live my life in the same way I've been living it. And it's, it is a lot of time just reframing it, you know, like reframing. And I was talking to a a student last night who's actually a therapist and because we're running trauma sensitive yoga and that's a whole interesting thing in itself, who comes, what people know, but not knowing actually how to practice or to implement in their lives. And she said, she's like, I, a lot of clients ask me for trauma sensitive yoga. She's like, but I'm terrified to recommend it because I don't actually trust any of the yoga teachers, you know, that, yep. that's perfect as yep. a therapist being like, she's like, I'm so fussy, but I've been to so many different yep. and basically bad teachers that I can't yep. even recommend it to clients who are looking for it. And so we just see it. Yeah. All of the time. And then people who come to the courses, I had a client the other day and I was like, how did you find it? And she's like, it was really boring. And I was like, a hundred percent, like this is a different way of approaching, you know, when we're doing this. 
It is. <laughs> yeah. But what actually is boredom? What are we trying to achieve? What's your goals? And I think it was something it, you said actually that inspired me. I was saying to someone else, we we're doing a, you know, a slower, subtle practice. And I was like, don't think about it. It's not, you're not doing exercise. It's like you're flossing your subtle body. <laughs> so I'm sure you said something like that. Yeah, yeah I like that. And even for him, he was like, oh, that's such a relief, you know, because that's what I want to be doing. And I know that I need this resourcing and I need it every week and I need to be doing it and having that understanding of how to reframe. So we're dealing with so many um, different perspectives of how people are coming to it, what they've learned, and basically unwinding it, like unwinding the wellness industry yeah. to be like, this isn't an industry, this isn't an add-on or what we call lunchbox stickering, you know, like putting stickers on a lunchbox. You're like, we want to open the lunchbox, right, yeah. and actually make a really nourishing lunch to put inside <laughs> and then do that every day. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, even on the flip side, there's the, the, the therapist who's just almost just using the term yoga as a, like a blanket term. I'll just go to yoga. It's good for your mental health. Yes. And then yes. these people are reporting. They're like, but I went to hot yoga and then I felt awful. I'm like maybe exactly. hot yoga is good for you. Yeah. And this is a big issue. So the education of the healthcare professionals mm -hmm. is essential for them to understand the differentiation. And so this is like, this is my wheelhouse. So this is stuff I've been talking about for years is getting people to understand that there's a difference between fitness, as John said, mm -hmm. there's a difference between the ashram kind of, you know, going for the transcendent thing. And then there's a difference between nervous system focused yoga. I tend to be in the nervous system focused mm -hmm. yoga camp, although I like the ashram camp too, but you know, like not as many people are interested in like when they're interested, I'll talk about it, but I, I tend to be in like, what do people need? You know, they yeah. need, need to learn how to self-regulate yeah. and they, and, and what they need to learn is the distinction between a trait change and a, a state change. Right. Ooh. So, yeah. right. It's yeah. huge because, okay, go to Kundalini yoga and blow your head off with a bunch of hypocapnic uh, over breathing and you'll feel different in 15 minutes, but is that going to change the trait? Is that going to make neuroplastic changes in the nervous system? Maybe over time it will. Um, it could be problematic for somebody with anxiety because you flood the system with, with overbreathing. You're flooding the system with too much uh, CO2, actually. And then you end up having the sensory input is huge and people are, they freak out. So like, I think that I'm talking about Kundalini breathing from as taught by Yogi Bhajan, right? And just to be specific and like, okay, like there's a place for that. Yeah. I would never say like, never do it, but it's not the only way of doing yoga and it's not appropriate for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's why I go back to the Vini yoga tradition, the Deskachar tradition, because Deskachar was so like, here's this tool for this person and you can try this and you can try this other thing over here. Or maybe you could try that and see if that works. And, and you, you, it's not a, but it's not a smorgasbord. It's very, very systematic. So you have this, you know, you have this potential kind of practice. You understand the um, neural mechanisms underneath it, by the way, not just the, the sort of like experience, you know, but you understand why that may help you. And then you use it over time to slowly make those trait changes because neuroplasticity takes time, right? Yeah. So you use it over time to slowly make changes. But when people have that idea of like, 
oh, this is not a pill that's just going to change the way I feel in the moment, but it's actually going to change my relationship with my anxiety or my depression or my trauma, then it, it just opens up their minds to the possibility that they can be a different person. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, that for a lot of people, a lot of people go, I'm an anxious person and they mm-hmm. slap the label on their forehead and, you know, and they decide, well, that's just who I am, but that can change. And that's mm-hmm. the promise of these practices, which is quite mind blowing, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not going to change if you just do every single thing you see on TikTok like that. It's not the way it works, you know. I think one of the kind of unfortunate things is people actually, they get a taste because they do get a positive experience sometimes with one of those short practices. Mm, and they're like, oh, this is well, my thing. Your state, right? yeah, yeah, this is my thing. And then they go, they try and go back to it. And then one day it doesn't work. And they're like, oh, that doesn't work for me anymore. And they're done. Mm. Oh, yeah. Or, or even worse, they think it works. And then they make a whole business out of it. And they talk, <laughs> you know, because that happens a lot. And, and this, like the woman I was talking about with the, uh, shampoo, you know, that, that sort of thing happens a lot out there. And we, we just have to be really careful again, really discerning. Like I'm not trying to like bring down anybody or anyone doing their thing. They're living their life, you know, and there are really, really great teachers that have been around for a long time. Now, a lot of them aren't even on social media. Yeah. You know, you have to find these people who actually can and help you know help you change uh and and it may be it may take you a little while to do that you know but if you're just you know actor who's teaching yoga because that's what's going on right now Mm -hmm. let's be honest you know that may not be the best way to learn these the the depth of these practices you know yeah so you know yeah, it's 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 tough out there. And how are we supposed to expect people who don't have any knowledge of the system and the the depth of these practices to know? I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said things like, I had no idea that's what yoga was about. Many, yeah, many yeah. times, you know. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought it was just like stretching, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a it's an issue. And like it's not like you, you know, what are you gonna do? Like just quit because it's so frustrating. Of course not. Like we keep going, but um, you know, but you you do I, I think that I think like kindly educating people about the potential of these practices to help them transform their lives and their relationships is really a, it's it's just built into what it means to be a good yoga teacher these days. And I think it's something that you actually said one of the first courses we did, which is kind of like, you know, you're actually in sales. You're like, you have to sell. One of your courses talks about, you know, selling the art of slow. And we always say this now. It's like, oh, no, you're actually in marketing, you know, yep. to, to students with us, because it's like it's not a bad thing. But if you if you're not actually educating people on why they would do something, it's so radically different to say the TikTok universe or the gym culture or the get it right now that it's like you really do have to sell why someone would invest to actually right. see if it works i'm like right. you can't do it for a week or even three weeks and be like doesn't work i'm like at least do something for three months and then reflect and actually be like oh, that's right is anything that's working right. for me and understanding that this is a different approach and it's a lifestyle but you've also got to right. have a level of embodiment right to be able to sense what's going in someone said to me the other day it's like also oh, this class this is good for my nervous system because my doctor told me to come for my nervous system, which is great. 
beautiful person, awesome. you know, so they're doing it. But I'm kind of even cringing. I'm like, well, yes, but it's like, well, yes and no, depending on your approach, how you're there, how you're interacting with the practices and your own kind of process of that and your environment that you're going back to all matter as well, you know, and there's sometimes so much that we're like, how can we as teachers, like you say, in a very loving, subtle, nice way, be educating while offering the practices. And it is a challenging job it's so hard but to your point like the the again like people have the mindset of i'm going to this class and i can turn myself off because that's what we do in fitness well that's what you can do in fitness classes just do what the teacher says then i don't have to participate in so much except just let my body do it and i can do whatever you know it can space out or whatever and and that's sort of the way we've been trained to do fitness classes and since yoga asana classes tend to fall into the fitness realm that often is what happens for folks and you know it's okay like everybody is where they are you know but having those little like i'm all about having your little you know the little phrases that you use the pause is just as important as the pose those things that i say you know all the time like to have those little phrases to just reiterate and just be like you can't make a a judgment about this based on one experience you have to try which by the way is a great marketing tool because you can say please you have to sign up for three months if you don't i can tell you right now you will not get what you need out of this Mm. but if you were here for three months at the end of three months you will feel different i can promise you that and if you don't i'll give you your money back like why not say that to people Yeah. yeah You know, and, and you have to be here three times, two or three times a week for three months. I, I guarantee something will change. And by the way, that's not selling snake oil. It's not like, it's yeah. not gross. It's not slimy. You know, it's just real. It's authentic and it's, it's accurate. So, you know, I embraced marketing probably about five or six years ago. I was like, I just, I can't take it anymore. I have to do something because I was seeing so much out there on social media. And I was like, I, ha- I just have to, you know, so I embraced it. And I didn't like it in the beginning. I was like, Oh, I feel so slimy. I can't do this. But my, um, you know, the people that I've worked with have really gently guided me along until now. I'm at the point where I'm like, I, I marketing has made me so much of a better yoga teacher. And the reason is because I listen to my students more and what they want. Mm. And, and then I've got something that can help them what they need, you know, not, not about, and I'm, it's not about, you know, the yoga abs or whatever. I mean, if you're teaching that, that's fine. That's none of my business, but uh, in terms of the nervous system regulation, in terms of the mental health stuff, in terms of overcoming their trauma, all of those things, like when I listen to what they really need, I can be a much better, much more effective yoga teacher because I'm meeting those needs. Mm. Um, and that's what marketing taught me. So I really see it as kind of, I mean, it sounds so gross, but I see it as kind of a spiritual practice because it's helped me to sort of step into my swadharma, my, my purpose, mm. uh, if you like. So I hope people who are listening who are yoga teachers take that in. You got to stop feeling bad about what you're, you know, about doing marketing. You have to start feeling really good about it. And one of our one yeah. of our um, marketing mentors, you could say, um, said, yeah. "Oh, we we're no longer in the age of information. We're actually in the age of marketing. That's that's the age we're in. The age of information is over. We're in the age of marketing. And then if you if you look at social media, that's what it is. You know, it's it's just that all of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're getting marketed to constantly, and and it's that 
that is where that is why again i go back to discernment and we need discernment about everything whether somebody is like you know foisting their their widgets on you or their whatever <laughs> junk from from china on you there you know whether that's happening or whether you're looking at the yoga space to try and do more training because there are there's just a ton of marketing out there about yoga and the thing that blows my mind right now is um, I sometimes I look, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting ad. Let me look and see how that person is. And many, many times you'll see nothing about their, their training, nothing. Or maybe they'll say, I'm a 200 hour RYT 200, but often will not say who their teachers are, what, where they've learned this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that scares me, actually. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that's a big problem because that means the loudest person gets the most eyeballs and the one who's willing to give marks up the most money gets the most eyeballs and and that's that's not i don't think that's healthy i think we need to come up with better ways of uh vetting the social Mm. media stuff so that people are actually learning good stuff about yoga because i mean you see it and people tell me all the time people will come to my trainings and say um you know, I, I had to relearn everything because I didn't realize my training was not teaching me something that was useful. Yes. So, honey, yeah, we have hard. It's a hard time right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that. I mean, the whole there's no credential. And I think it's really hard again back to mental health and whether it's therapists or people looking for this stuff but don't even know what they're looking for you know even if there was the the credentials it's like it's a pretty unknown thing unless you're a yoga teacher you don't actually know what you're looking for and that someone thinks you know I did my kind of 500 or 200 500 hours in a year but I was full-time and there all day and sat in on every private student and was teaching three months in and was just like it was very full on I thought that's what yoga training was And then I went and did another one with a friend, which was three weeks in Bali. Now, let me just say, those two things were not the same thing. They weren't even in the same ballpark. In fact, half the time I was supporting the students on there, the training, so that they could just get through. We could spend a whole podcast talking about that. But it definitely early on, I was like, well, this is crazy. Like, how how do I have the same qualification as this person when we are light years apart in our knowledge and wisdom and i just come out of india so i'm like it's it is very crazy when people are looking to think that to even think that you could learn any of this in a one month intensive blows my mind (laughs) and it's not disrespecting i'm like go forth it's an amazing experience but to go from one month of intensive training into teaching people who think you actually have integrated and know this and you're 23 years old i just don't see how it correlates you know and you're teaching especially when 50 of those 200 hours is about um memorizing names of muscles and bones and and things like that that aren't really necessarily that important to teaching a yoga class and supporting someone's (laughs) mental health or their nervous system regulation which is just you know slavery bypassing um i'm not a big fan (laughs) of that either Well, it's, you know, so we're in this, so here we are, and we're in this milieu now, and it's all over everywhere. And, you know, with, with the pandemic, the 200 hour trainings went from like, there were like three or something of 200 hour trainings online to like thousands, you know, so, so we're here, like we're in the state. So that's why I always tell people like, be, it's okay to open your mouth and be out there and be, 
you know, just be forthright about what you're doing. Just be clear about it. It doesn't mean you're taking other people down, but you're clear about who you are and what you have to offer and why it's important. And when you get clear about that stuff, it's not so much putting on blinders, but it's more just about like the past becomes very, very obvious. That's where I need to go. And this is what I need to do. So one of the things I did back in 2008, I think 2007 was I just decided like, because I was seeing sort of a a flow of that saturation happening where I live, especially, which is a very, very yoga centered area of the country. And I just saw like, there just was so much yoga out there. And I, I, so at that time, I realized like what I really have to do is start to work with healthcare professionals, because if I could work with healthcare professionals and interface with them and teach them how to refer to yoga and teach them about yoga and stuff that it would, it would be a way I could serve the community. It would be a way to get yoga out there in a, a bigger way, because you know, the, the yoga, the wellness market, the studio market is where we see like, there's, there's just too much focus there. Whereas there's not as much focus in the healthcare systems. And I think that's, you know, that's the direction because then you have licensed professionals who have had to do their work. They don't get around, they cannot get around it. You know, not granted, that doesn't mean they're all great, but they, they have to get licensed. Mm, So if you've got somebody with a license and their license matters, they tend to have a little more discernment Mm. um, about other professions, you know, and, and so that's why I started to realize like, that's where people need to be getting their information about yoga. Of course, it's not that we're not, we're nowhere near educating all the healthcare professionals yet, but, yeah. you know, in the United States, there's 8 million of them. Like they're not, yeah. they are not educated yet, but we're, but moving into that realm gives us a little more of that clout that we get from that realm of the healthcare profession. I, I am under no illusions or delusions that it's a perfect system, but it's, it's at least it's a place where we can sort of put some energy to help there be a little bit more discernment about what yoga that that's therapeutic can, how that yoga can support people and how we can get to those people because they're going to the healthcare professionals. Mm. Mm. And they are asking and that, yeah. yeah, you're so right. It is this big thing of this transition period. And like, I think why we're saying infancy is that everything, even though it's been in the West for a while, it's all happened so quickly. And so all of us who are doing this, if we choose to be in more of the mental health kind of realm, the scope of how do we support people in this way, this trauma informed way is, you know, really understanding, I think that, that we are a part of that movement, a part of the change and a part of the system. And just like what you said with the marketing to find how do we have discernment, how do we have empowerment to say what I do matters, my voice matters, and I'm actually allowed to go in and try and create something that's holding this, um, structure yeah and then we begin we begin to have to kind of market to those healthcare professionals and those skills fold into that and on that on that note we have a little um i've got a question written down here about that and what um kind of fears have you come up against from the healthcare professionals in these conversations around the kind of the kind of underlying perception shift or worldview shift around what yoga is and does and all of those kind of um yeah yeah. things that come up with them yeah it's such a good question so like i found a lot of the doctors they will lump yoga into the fitness right away 
And a lot of them, the ones that are open to yoga do a lot of exercise. Like they get it because there's, there's a tremendous body of research since 1969, Kenneth Cooper came out with his famous book, the aerobics. Like there's a tremendous body of research around the benefits of cardiovascular exercise, weightlifting, anaerobic exercise, tons of research about the benefit, the health benefits. So they want to put yoga in that category right away. What is less well-known are the benefits of interoceptive, slow, mindful movement. That stuff, we're just starting to see some little bits and pieces of research. And most healthcare professionals don't, don't know that. And so they don't, they can't conceptualize it. So, so the doctors have a little challenge I found with it. Whereas the mental health people are like, oh yeah, we know about breathing for regulating. Of course we know that, you know, and we do it with our clients. So wouldn't it be interesting to learn more about that? Oh, and by the way, these breathing practices come from India. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. I thought they came from Deepak Chopra or Andrew Weil or something, you know, (laughs) (laughs) actually come from India. Wouldn't it be interesting to know about that system? So I found that mental health people, uh, professionals tend to be a little bit more open to this kind of way of practice, which by the way, often I call inner size to give it that opposite of exercise, right? So we're going to be doing inner size nervous system regulation. Like I'm working with this guy who runs an intensive outpatient program um, for youth for 12 to 18 year olds. And so we've been working on a program where we're going to be training his um, clinicians in some really simple processes for, to use in groups. Right. And one thing I thought was really interesting was I was like, well, they're 12 to 18 year olds. So they might want to learn things that are more active. And he said, actually, they all think they know exactly what yoga is because they've been so exposed to it, whether it's in school or treatment programs or whatever. And he said, I just want to do chair stuff with them. It'll feel much. I was like chair stuff for kids. I kind of love it. You know, because they most of them are really unable to sit in a chair and self-regulate and feel grounded. Like, what if we just work with with uh, chair stuff for kids? I I never even considered it before I had this conversation because I was always like, oh, kids are active; they need to move around. And sun salutations were made for kids, so let's. But you don't want to. I don't want to train clinicians in that without giving them good, solid biomechanical training. But I can train them in chair yoga processes, of course, because there's not the, we don't have the risk, you know, Mm. Um, and it's more meditative and mindful and you can do a lot of cool brain balancing stuff. Mm. So, you know, I I think that there's a, there's a huge potential for interface between the yoga world and the mental health world. And we're, as you said, we're just, it's just in its infancy. And I think we're going to see a huge shift. I think we're going to see a huge change. The risk, of course, is making sure that um, we're not just teaching mental health people stuff like square breaths or four, seven, eight breaths or pursed lip breath. And then saying this is what, because again, those are state trained trait tools. They need to be situated. (laughs) What? It's that thing. If you do this breath and it will downregulate your nervous system and it's like, tick, exactly. tick, tick, not necessarily, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. And we think they need to understand those kind of practices situated in the context of the whole of the yoga of the yoga verse. Like they have mm-hmm. to understand that there's something much deeper there. And if they start to understand the science behind it, the frameworks 
the you know the methodology and all that stuff, then they they're gonna have a a, a deeper way of helping people. So which segues you know, it's, beautifully, it's, you know, because one I really wanted to because I love all your stuff on chair yoga, and I'm having a whole interesting experience with the chair and and trauma sensitive stuff and being like there's something really amazing about turning up in a chair that equals yeah. a playing field that I don't even think people recognize and that we're all just here in this position that we're in so often and then we do it from there and it's like it's just there's a normalcy to it I'm, I can't even properly articulate yeah. you know the experience of what it does it's a but humility it's so it, it takes powerful. maybe athletic variation for so many so many people who are even who, for, so anxious about coming to class yeah but even for people who like they've just gone to their spin class or they go to the gym but they come to this this practice and we sit in a chair and it's like this amazing thing of like, oh yeah, okay, I'm doing this. We're all in a chair. And then we're starting to do this really subtle stuff. And it's amazing. And one lady said to me, she's like, I don't know why this works, but I know that it works. You know, <laughs> and it's like, it's this beautiful, um, yeah, I really, I really love the chair. I really rate the chair and definitely encourage people to, to explore it more and be like, it's not just for um, elderly or people who yeah. can't, do other things there's actually you like you've talked about in a, a whole different realm of what the chair offers um exactly. but also, yeah, sorry. no i just said exactly i it's it's, it's uh it takes you into your nervous system it takes you into a meditative state it gets you into mindfulness i mean there's there's so many uses for the chair and to have it sort of um you know the idea that chair yoga is for old sick you know mm. out of shape and, and it is for all those people, but it's all that it's for, right? You know, and, and so people have the sense of like, oh, I'm, you know, there's something wrong with me because I have to use a chair. Like that's, we have to get rid of that preconception for sure. It's not what it's about at all. And yeah, and there's a lot of potential, I think. Yes. Yeah. So, um, specifically I've got, with more, I've got one more question yeah. on my to-do yeah. list yeah. here. Um, <laughs> No, well, I've got two more questions. I was going to say, because she was touching on it. We were going there. Oh, let's go there first then. So, okay. So, and I, I know you've talked about this before, but it's it's understanding also when we're talking about bringing in the scope. So we're doing some movement. We're regulating the nervous system. We're breathing. But, but can we speak about the importance of the yamas and niyamas and actual yeah. how you bring in yoga philosophy into these ideas? And it's, again, that shift of worldview or understanding something and understanding ourselves in a different context. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, so, so there's many creative ways to work with the yamas and yamas, but I think that, you know, the, the idea is that we, we kind of start slow because people are coming in with the conception that yoga is about movement, right? That's mm -hmm. the first thing they think. So then we can sort of start dropping it a little bit. Well, actually, yoga is about breath. And let me just make one point here before I get to the yamas and yamas is that if the thing that distinguishes yoga from exercise and from physical therapy and everything else is the breath, then why in the yoga world do we hyper-focus on biomechanics? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like why don't we give as many cues about the breath as we mm -hmm. give about how to move the body? Mm -hmm. Like that, that to me is such a, um, a logical progression of understanding of yoga. So and if you, if you have only been taught or have only understood that the breath is inhale, arms up, exhale, swan dive forward, 
Let me tell you that there is a whole universe of breathing out there that will blow your mind, you know, and will help you to understand that how the prana is um, organized in your central channel in these chakras. And when you can access it, you can start to create much more energy, self-regulation, focus, attention, mindfulness, compassion, everything, because you have started to understand how to use your breath in a much more systematic way. So that's my big point before I even get to the yamas and the yamas mm. is like, okay, let's talk about this breath stuff. Cause it's very important. Mm. Um, and then, and probably I'll talk about my meditation somewhere in there too, because the whole point of breathing and, you know, or at least traditionally, and doing movement is so that you can settle the mind and meditate effectively. Right. Uh, and people always tell me like, I can't meditate. And I'm like, let me take you through some breathing and some movement. And then we'll see if you feel the same way about that, you know? And often they're like, I sat, I, my mind was clear for five minutes. I get that never happened to me before. And I'm like, yeah, because we used the system of yoga to prepare for the point of the system of yoga, which is to get deeper into that, you know, into that open space. Um, And then, and then, you know, yamas and yamas are something that are essential because they help us to still the mind too, you know? So you start with, are my actions in line with my values? And people often don't know, a lot of people know what their values are, but sometimes people need to go deeper into that. So exploring the yamas and yamas gives, it just, just gives you a framework for more uh, deeper understanding of your values. Like, like, do I value non-harm? You know, do I value the earth? Do I value my family and my relationships? Like when you start kind of unpacking that stuff, the yamas and yamas become a really good framework for it. And then they go, okay, if I value that stuff, then how do the yamas and yamas help me to, kind of take my actions and, and my thoughts and keep them kind of focused in that framework. And then when I sit to meditate, I'm not going, oh, I said something really awful to that person, or I, you know, I should have walked that back. I mean, sometimes you still do that too, which is good, you know, because then you can write it down and process it later. That's good too. But it, I mean, the whole point of yamas and yamas is to help you, uh, well, there, there's several points, but I think one of the whole point is to help you to feel really you know, in line with yourself yeah. and, and understand who you are and develop that deeper sense of identity from which a sense of meaning and purpose start to emerge, you know? Oh, so, yeah. So, yeah. You huh? were about to say our favorite quote, you know, because yeah. if you don't know who you are, Christine, you don't know what to do, yeah. right? You can't <laughs> have discernment if you don't know who you are. We are quoting you. We quote you a lot with this. like <laughs> <laughs> But that, that, yeah, when you, and when you, when you have that, that awareness, you know, so how do you operationalize the yamas and yamas in yoga? You know, I think there, I think there's lots of ways to go about it. I I mean, I like just letting people learn little principles one at a time here and there, focus on them for a week or two, see how truthfulness shows up in your life, see how, and, you know, I like to use Brahmacharya and Ishvara Pranidhana as sort of opposite sides of the same coin, Brahmacharya, the way that I translate it is more etymologically accurate, which is, you know, this idea of seeing everything outside me as the manifestation of the divine Brahmacharya, Ishvara Pranidhana, seeing everything inside of me 
as a manifestation of that cosmic consciousness and and then using those as the kind of the foundation of understanding all, all the principles that revolve around it. So, you know, I think like just if you're teaching classes, helping people know that the yamas and yamas exist and that, you know, stilling the mind is a matter of bringing your actions into alignment with your values. Like it's a, an essential part of it. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What do you, how do you guys use it? Well, one of the things that we do in our 200 hour teacher training is we, cause our training split into kind of a weekend format. Um, and we use 10, we actually use 11 weekends, but we use the 10 yamas and yamas as each weekend they, they read the yama and then we reflect on it as a group. So we kind of almost, sometimes it turns into almost group therapy, but this idea of sharing around each of the principles and exactly that, how does it show up in your life for these two weeks or three weeks or however long the, the space between is? And people yep. people go deep and then they, they reflect on it, they write, um, and we see what they write and we, we talk further about that one-on-one with them. And it, it becomes this amazing transformational kind of experience yep. for people. We see there's such power in just those 10 concepts. Mm. Yep. yep. Well, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I was to say, I've, I've had such an interesting journey with it and this whole thing of never wanting to use it in classes or I think going to classes where a lot of kind of spiritual concepts have been, again, the lunchbox stickering. And so I never really felt okay to talk about it. Like, I'm like, this is a lot of information if I'm talking about what the body is doing, you're breathing, you know, all of these other things and then trying to suddenly bring in this like bizarre lecture on the side it took a really long time to feel okay to say anything and then i'd say something i'd be like oh you know that's too much where is the sweet spot to layer these things in so i definitely do and it's like you say it's like little pieces of of putting them in lines of just like you know this is what we might be looking at or yeah how do we actually find a sense of loving kindness i recently was teaching and this idea of ahimsa but referring to it as as okayness like what would it be okay if it was just okay that you're here or you're doing this shape you know we don't have to necessarily have some lofty goal of i love myself and i'm completely compassionate all the time i think they get so lofty and you've come to yoga and you're already overwhelmed by the fact that your life's not that great you don't feel that good and i'm like okay now today we're working on self-love because clearly i've achieved that um, <laughs> and so <laughs> using an idea of you know, it could just be okay. And can we tune into the idea that maybe it's okay? Um, but I'm interested in, in using it in, in more of a trauma sensitive where there's a bit more, we're in chairs, right? It's a bit more conversational and we sort of do a practice. And then I'm like, you know, yoga actually has other, these concepts around it, this idea of that you can bring in and you can think about it in the practice or in your life. And we talk about the same, a little bit of ahimsa, a little bit of tapas and um, spadhyaya generally. And just this way of, you know, you can notice what's happening in your body and this actually relates to the yogic path. So kind of bringing it in and trying to manage it, a level of dosage that is exciting for someone to want to be in self-inquiry, but isn't completely overwhelming where they're like, well, this isn't for me. You know, I right. don't have the ability to do that. So again, I'm always in this place of how do I want to share it in a class sitting outside of a training setting? Because, you know, it's like someone comes to training and they're like, I had no idea. And I'm always like, that's a shame, <laughs> you know, like, how do we, where's the middle? And so, yeah, for myself, it's, it's always an evolving journey of how to land things in a way that's, um, yep. 
yep. you know, safely. I know my, I was, I used to be much more Gabby in my yoga classes way back when, and my husband came to one of my classes. He was like, Oh my God, you talk way too much. And then he said, I was like, thank you for being honest. And he said, why don't you just start a teacher training program? Then you can share all that stuff. Like, I think it would be, it would, I think teacher training programs are great for that, but I, it would be so nice if people just took yoga programs, you know, yeah. like just, Go deeper in your yoga practice. And it would be so nice if TikTok was full of yamas and niyamas. Yes, <laughs> Instead of just what? And, and you're always trying to find the like the perfect unicorn workshop, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like I just right. the perfect work that just layers it and then you can take it into your practice. And so it ends up half the time being in those conversations after class or before class or right. actually with the new studio, we have like we always have tea that's there now that's brewed and you come in and you have tea. And we've got things on the wall that kind of outlines a little bit more around yoga and the eightfold path and things so that there's a point to even ask the question because then i think well people don't even know what question to ask you know like how do i even invite the conversation maybe of what i'm feeling or experiencing and what prompts can we put in the space that invites conversation whether it's with us or together and invites a level of inquiry where it's like i'm interested and then if the question's asked you know you can go further because right. I also don't want to, if someone's like, no, but I've come to do my movement. I'm like, like you say, well, that's where you're at. It's also not my role to take that away or push that's right. something else yeah. onto you when you're not ready to hear it. So it's, yeah, it's always a little bit to and fro. And it kind of falls it's, into our final, final question, which I'm going to just slide in. Okay. Um, what do you think about class numbers, group class sizes, and the, the ability to actually get the information across in a, in a quality way. Do you mm. feel like there's a, there's a, a tendency in our kind of um, economically driven world to try and get more bums on mats as the case may be versus trying to fold in the opportunity to have these conversations with students one-on-one -on -one, to, to fold in these, these concepts and ideas. Well, I would just say with all transparency that I'm almost entirely teach online now. Mm. Well, I, I do teach some in-person stuff. I teach it. My teacher training is in person yeah. um, with the option to be online. And I didn't have any say in that because I do it uh, as a faculty member at the Mountain Area Health Education Center. So most of my students are, are health professionals, mostly mental health professionals. Um, but there's other people that come to it too as well. So, you know, so with transparency, I want to say that. And here's what, here is what I have come to understand, which is that you keep your messaging kind of um, contained and smaller and you repeat it, you know, in within that class. And, and so when students have questions for me, because I don't answer all their questions, because I'm teaching, I'm teaching online, there's plenty of people that are there, I can't talk to all of them, I don't answer all their questions. I have a zoom call every month for the people that are in my membership, they can come and ask questions there. And I will, we have these long kind of conversations like this, uh, mm. that happen. So that's, that's the way that I have adapted to the digital age. Mm. Um, all that being said, I think if you are in a small group with a good teacher, you hit the jackpot. You know, if you're live in a small group with a good teacher, you like, there you go. You know, I mean, that's a, it's a, it's an extraordinary, um, that's a gift to, to have in this day of YouTube yoga. 
in this day and age of YouTube yoga, you know? So yeah, small is great. If that can happen that way, it's great. I, you know, I did that for years, years and years and decades. I did it. Uh, and I got to the place where I was like, I need to have a bigger mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Have a bigger, uh, not a bigger mouth, but a bigger mic. Um, What's it called? Megaphone. Like I needed a a little bit more. Yeah. I needed a little bit more reach. I felt like it was, that was the time, you know, you, you see, you're doing your practice as a teacher, I hope, and you're reflecting on what your purpose is and what you're doing with your life. And you get to a place and you're like, this is the crossroads and I can go that way, that way. And you take the path and you get to your next crossroads and that's, you know, and you make those choices. Um, and I guess just because I've been teaching for so long, for I'm approaching my 29th year, uh, you know, you get, you get to that because I've been teaching for so long. I'm like, I, like if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And yeah. and not everybody has that sort of drive to want to reach lots of people, and that and it's not the best thing, you know. It it does. It's just one way of teaching. So I want to be really clear about that. Like I. I taught small groups for years. I would come home and say to my husband, oh, only three people came to my class tonight. And he would say, you help three people. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. You know, and he was always so super supportive of whatever I was doing. And he said, that's what you're meant to be doing at that mm-hmm. time. You know, and I completely believe that in retrospect now. Uh, and I, it's, you know, it doesn't mean that any of it is ever easy. I really do feel like teaching yoga is a vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you're going to stick with it, like you stick with the ups and downs of it, cause there are plenty of ups and downs, you know, but, and we all have to find the ways that work, but to answer your question, like if you are able to have a small group of students and you're able to give them that kind of very personalized attention, like they're very fortunate to have that, um, that kind of interaction, I think. And I just want to say, I love that you've, it's like, if the, the word that comes to mind is responsibility like you recognizing the responsibility you had to your own journey with teaching to what you've seen and what you've cultivated and been able to share because you know if you hadn't have done that if you hadn't have gone online in the way you had we personally would have never found you we also know who we've recommended to you and how many people that we know follow you and have done your stuff and it's like it's just so amazing that you were able to, you know, go through that journey. And then if you get to the crossroads, cause you're reflecting and then respond to the responsibility that you had for yeah. the wider yoga community. And even now, you know, the mental health realm. So it's pretty amazing that, um, that you followed that. And like we talked about with marketing and I just think when you said five or six years ago, I'm like, yeah, yeah. When we found you, because you put yourself out there to be found yeah. and that <laughs> so many people need to hear that part of like, if you don't put yourself out there, the ones who, I didn't know I was looking for you, you know, like I didn't know that this was the style I would ever kind of lean into. And definitely like I've come from a really Iyengar way and do a little bit of both and bring it in and can see where the nourishing factors are and how to use them. And it's, um, yeah, so it's just really beautiful that you are online and accessible. And for anyone who hasn't seen your stuff, I highly recommend looking at the courses. I think we've done maybe six. Yeah. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) and the one we started the one we started with i think well we started with the little um why you should go slow one but then we went to the neuroplasticity one and it was like it was at at this amazing time where 
we both were really interested in neuroanatomy. Oh, so sorry to interrupt, yeah. but what happened was I'd been doing yoga, you know, kind of full time in my training and was very dedicated to the practice for sort of maybe four or five years at that point. And I realized I saw something on neuroplasticity like a book and I was like, oh my gosh, I changed my brain. And I had no idea what it was, but I, I only knew because I did it to my own brain. And I was like, I wondered like what had happened, you know, because it was quite radical, really. <laughs> And um, and then we found when we found your course, it explained everything that had kind of happened to me and could then put language around it to tell other people to be like, this actually is the possibility in doing these practices. So it was a really beautiful mm. journey. And then we're just reading everything about the brain, you know, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then I apologize to all of our past students and teacher trainings who have like you know pushed neuroanatomy like down their throats like you need to understand this it's so important for yoga like we don't care about we don't care about the bones in the arm like that's just the bones in the arm let's talk about the brain <laughs> i mean we still care about the arms guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny yeah it's interesting because i put that course out in 2019 i think and or maybe 2018 but um, things have changed. Like I have to go back to that course. I, I did redo the science of slow, that first mm. course. So that's, that's um, if you haven't seen it, that's updated. It's not that different, but I had to make a couple changes. But the, uh, the because neuroscience is changing all the time, there's mm. things that I needed to add and shift in, in the yoga neuroscience connections. <laughs> At some point I'll get around to that. <laughs> Right. But I mean, that, I think it's also the beauty of when we're, you know, yoga teachers and in this, no matter how we're teaching and sharing that the level of reflection and humility and continually learning to come back and go over. We always laugh. We're like one year, like our manual will actually just be complete, knowing that that will never, ever happen. It will never happen. Always changing. It's always updating. But that is, like you say, it's just kind of the work that we're all dedicated to and that you want that yeah. level of dedication. I see some teachers who are bored or it's the same and I'm like this just isn't the job for you and it's okay you know keep practicing but this isn't the job um it's not it's, it's not filled with accolade and it's definitely not filled with ease yeah. Very rewarding. <laughs> but but it's fun and you know it's like if that's what you're supposed to be doing that's what you're supposed to be doing you know it's good it's good stuff and I, I would just say for folks out there who are teaching like just you know just be okay with wherever you are. Like you can only yeah. teach what you, from what you know, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And, and what's so beautiful about yoga is it just never ends. Like, I feel like I've only scratched the surface of yeah. what I, you know, I need several more lifetimes. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not asking you for that. I'm but, it <laughs> <laughs> I need several more lifetimes to really understand this stuff. There's, yeah, it's yeah. just so you know and beautiful so well do you have any 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 closing words um anything that's coming up on your horizon that you want to talk about um before we close um so uh in the fall it, well which will be your spring um in october i'm having a training on sequencing so if anybody's interested in that that'll be a live training yeah. um it's sequencing for the nervous system oh my gosh <laughs> well, right i'll be crowd, teaching right crowd. 
<laughs> um, so I'll, I will have a link for that probably by the time this goes out, I'll have a link for that. Um, and also I just did a 10 day chair yoga for brain health challenge. I did a bunch of videos, so that'll be out pretty soon too. My husband is doing, Brett is doing a, um, yoga psychotherapy group online, Cool. Um, that'll be coming out soon. I'm really excited about that because he's stepping into the online world. Under the, um, under the subtle yoga group. umbrella or under his own? Yeah, um... We're our actually our uh, company is called Subtle Health, and we both oh, work cool. under that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he'll be he'll be doing that online with my folks and stuff. So yeah, there's a few good things coming up, and of course, like I hope everybody's watching this podcast and and looking at your stuff and uh, watching your other podcasts too. So you guys are doing great work. Thank you very much for for the work that you're doing. And gosh, so much love to you. So far away. Yeah. <laughs> But it's so beautiful that we could be here yes. and it is, yeah. Thank you for all the inspiration in both ways. And may we all continue to keep going and we'll put all those links in the bio and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and Namahe to you. Yeah, we have to organise another <laughs> one sometime mm, soon. Mm, mm. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Thanks, Thanks so much, Christine. The Radical Awareness Podcast.